Hello everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. And today's show is certainly going to be a great one. I'm going to talk to Crystal Rich, a journalist at WBOC CBS in Maryland. And we have a lot to discuss. She's a good friend of mine from the, my NFL Network days. Crystal is a writer, a producer, a television personality, has accomplished a lot in such a short time. I'm going to talk to her about her upbringing, about her passion for sports, her career, starting as a college student at Rutgers, taking her to both coasts and down to the Maryland area where she currently works as a sports reporter. You're not going to want to miss that. She also has some interesting things to say about the Eagles and her former Eagles coach, Chip Kelly. It's the Money Mitch Effect with special guest, Crystal Rich. Here we go. Okay, so we're joined now by Crystal Rich, as I know her, Kay Rich. Crystal, thank you so much for joining the Money Mitch Effect. Hello, hello, Mitch. Thank you for having me. Money Mitch, I apologize. <laughs> oh, it's all good. So, uh, so Crystal is a sports reporter anchor for WBOC-CBS in Maryland, uh, but it covers sports in the Delmarva, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia area. She is uh, an author, uh, a director, a, uh, a sports professional. I'm going to be honest, Crystal, you have a lot of titles. That was uh, a mouthful of getting uh, all those words out. Well, thank you. But, you know, I still remember when we first met at the NFL Network and me just marveling over you and your sports knowledge. I've told you from day one that you need to be on air, a show, a podcast, and here you are. Well, you know, that means a lot. I appreciate that. Um, I think it was uh, it was just necessity and just good for my uh, my well-being. You know, the sad thing is I wasn't really trying to show off. There might be something wrong with me, but I appreciate the I appreciate the kind words. Um, we do go back a ways from uh, NFL Network, and that's where you were starting a similar role with me in, on the production side. But yeah. to see you on camera is actually is just awesome. There aren't many people, and I use the term dual threat, not to sound like a uh, high school quarterback <laughs> being recruited, but no, you really are a dual threat. Thank you. It's it's uh it was a challenge getting from production behind the scenes to finally getting that first on air opportunity and then just moving up from there. But knowing as much as you can in this business as you know will definitely help you from editing, camera, anything anything you can add will help you out. Very you're very accurate there. Um we're gonna get into a lot about your career um in a second, but I wanna talk about your upbringing first. Um is it Atco, New Jersey? Did I pronounce that right? That's where my high school was, yes, Atco, New Jersey. I'm actually from Sicklerville, New Jersey, which is about 20 minutes outside of Philadelphia. Okay, so you grew up just outside of Philadelphia. What was uh, the family life like for you? I know you're a very spiritual person. I know you're very sports heavy. So what was it like growing up uh, in the upbringing you did? Yeah, <laughs> you pretty hit it. You hit it on the nose. It's it's sports. And Jesus. <laughs> it sounds it sounds very country, but it really it wasn't it wasn't as country as it sounds. Um, we had a good mix of, you know, suburban, urban living being right outside a huge city. So that definitely had a huge impact on my life and my career, as you see. You know, I got into sports very early in my career and then on the other side, you know I'm an author as well. 
Um, it's not about God, but it does have some spiritual background in, in that. So, um, yeah, growing up where I did and the family that I was, you know, blessed to have, that really impacted where I am today. Um, I'm definitely seed of the fruit my parents planted. Oh, and, and I wanted to ask you, you know, I have to, this is an informal podcast, but I do some research before uh, these interviews. <laughs> now, if I have this right, your grandfather was a Hall of Fame athlete. Uh, at oh, Warmerian. my gosh. You did some really good research. I'm so impressed. <laughs> yes, I tried. That is, that is right. My grandfather's name is Ira Rich. Now, he went to Lower Marion. That's the same high school that Kobe Bryant went to. And, um, you know, one of my career goals is to interview Kobe Bryant because I want to ask him the rumor in my family, which is that, you know, Kobe Bryant looked up to my grandfather, and I called the athletic director there about a year ago um, after he was, after my grandfather was inducted just to introduce myself. At the time, I was living in L.A., and I couldn't be there. Um, and he was so excited when I told him who I was. I said I was Ira Rich's um, granddaughter, and his I could just see his, I could hear his face light up on the other end of the phone. He graduated in 1940 from Lower Marion. He was a, a legendary rebounder. He was um, the first African American who was an All-State athlete in uh, in for Lower Marion at that time. He had just uh, an amazing story. I believe it was his senior year. He went to um, Hershey, Pennsylvania, and at that time there was a lot of racism. Um, towards black people. So he was the only black man on his team. He was a star player. The hotel would not allow him to stay there because he was black. So the whole entire team um, decided they're not leaving my grandfather. They all went and stayed at a local hospital. Can you imagine that, sleeping in, you know, you're a basketball team the night before a huge tournament and you're sleeping in a hospital? Um, wow. The next day, my grandfather had the game-winning shot <laughs> to win the Man. game, and he was the leading scorer. Well, that's great. You know, that um, it, it's hard not to, you know, feel inspired by that story. And uh, I can only imagine what it's like growing up with such a powerful influence and, and a sports influence at that. I know there there was other things, but it's hard not to, you know, feel like a sense of uh, importance growing up, you know, with that in your bloodline for sure. Yeah, absolutely. When you have that to look up to, and then, you know, it's translated into growing up. We watched Kobe, we watched Iverson, and, you know, these big figures were in Philadelphia. And when you know that someone in your family kind of paved the way for these other people to succeed after them, it really gives you kind of a sense of pride and foundation. So, Crystal, what was uh, high school like for you at uh, Winslow Township High School? <laughs> I know you were heavy in uh, athletics, but oh, oh yeah, you into dancing as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, even before <laughs> high school, I was dancing at the age of four. It's still one of my passions. I don't get to indulge as much as I would like to. Um, when I move back to L.A., it's a different story. I'll be back in it. Um, but high school, we were named the Eagles. Get that? We're out right outside of Philadelphia, and we're the Winslow Eagles, so it made everyone just a little more diehard. We were heavy in sports. 
you know, we were we were heavy in education, but we were very, very heavy in sports. We were one of the most dominant schools in South Jersey. It felt like no one can beat us in anything. Football was huge. Um, for me, I played basketball. Our basketball team struggled a little bit, but our track team was unstoppable. We had a lot of um, people go on to to get full ride you know, uh, scholarships to college. I didn't want to take that path, but you know, hurdles were my thing. Um, I still oh. would. I still try to go run some every now and then if a, a high school athletic director will let me. But that you know, just just my upbringing in the Philadelphia market, my upbringing with knowing my father's background, going to a school that's so die hard in athletics and just being involved in that every single day. You get kind of brainwashed. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can relate to that, certainly. It's, uh, you know, when, once you get hooked on sports, it's hard to, to quit. You you're just want to indulge in, in, every, in every little thing, every media, every uh, outlet. Talking with, talking with Crystal Rich here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, so, we, so let's move on to college. You went to Rutgers, and I wanted to ask you, if there was a specific time, maybe when you right when you got to Rutgers or before, or even you know a lot earlier, when did you think a career in sports was possible, and and when did you decide to really make an effort to try to achieve that? See, I kind of knew very early on, way before college. I believe I was a freshman in high school. That's you know after church on Sunday, my parents we would rush home, literally <laughs> rush home and watch the Eagles play. So, you know, when I saw the females on the sideline and they're, you know, talking about the game, and my that was the one time of the week that my family's really brought together and we're really excited and pumped. So I grew up and saw that, and I knew very early that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to talk about sports, and I um, kind of just worked to towards that ever since. When I got into college, I already knew what I wanted to do. So I got in a program called RUTV, Rutgers University Television Network. Um, and I tell people all the time that was more influential than my actual major. Um, we learned production. Yeah. You know, that's probably the main reason why I interned at ESPN and got hired at NFL Network is I knew how to work the camera. I knew how to edit. Um, I reported. I anchored. Um, so it's started very early on my end and I was fortunate for that because not a lot of people will uh know what they want to do so early it sounds like yeah and it sounds like you were starting you know to set yourself up for a career on both sides in front and behind the camera early uh at Rutgers I'm just in a curious question because I had a similar experience when I was in St. Louis but were there um were there a lot of opportunities for someone like yourself at Rutgers or was it very competitive and uh, filled with a lot of people similar to yourself who wanted a career in sports? Right. Um, well, it's definitely not as competitive as the real world, but there was a level of you have to really want it to get it. For me, I was I got into the program before I was in school of RUTV. So since I already oh. knew what I wanted to do, um, I got in early. And then after that, you know, when people started to figure out what they wanted to do, it was kind of hard to get into that. Uh, this was a very low-paying job, but it was a paying job. So at one point I was a hiring team leader, and we would get lots and lots of applications, but we didn't have, 
you know, this huge budget to pay everyone. So there was a selective process where um, if you didn't kind of know what you wanted to do, then you were just in this pool of candidates who um, were just kind of crossing their fingers and hoping they would get a call on RUTV. They had other opportunities um, for campus radio and to get internships, but I really, I tell everyone that I mentor to this day, get in with your university television network or program. That is really what will set you forward and propel you, giving you editing experience, on camera, um, writing, producing. So there's, there's opportunity, but the people who knew earlier on definitely had an advantage. So, and you got you got the opportunity to cover a lot of athletics there. I know the football team had some solid years uh, while you were there. Um, mm-hmm. I think there was a, I think there was a pinstripe bowl victory in there towards mm-hmm. the end of your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, basketball, not really, uh, <laughs> didn't really do too well. I'm trying to be kind in how I say that, but yeah, there's not too much you can say there. Basketball, kind of, it was it was declining. Um, that was. That was a hard time. That was a hard time. We covered some of it, but it wasn't really exciting. Football, man, oh, man, anyone who goes to any D1 football school knows just how exciting it was. I was coming in right off the hill, uh, off the field of the Ray Rice era. I know that name is almost oh, yeah. like anathema to say nowadays, but we we were coming right off of the Ray Rice era, so we were, I came in in 2008. That was kind of like a rebuilding year for us. Um, but towards my junior, senior year, we got pretty good under um, under Greg Schiano, And then it went to Kyle Flood. So we had some really exciting times. And for me, one of my most exciting times was going to um, MetLife Stadium when we played at the Giants-Jet Stadium against Navy and covering that game from the sidelines. As a young reporter, that was like a dream to so me. cool, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, on, on a more serious note, one of the, one of the I guess, one of the more serious journalistic pieces that you did early in your career was the work you did uh, with uh, the whole Eric Legrand situation. Mm-hmm. What was that like working with a story with such a serious tone, and, and how did it maybe change your perspective on things? Oh, man, that was actually the game that I was just speaking about, the Rutgers-Navy game at MetLife Stadium. That was the same game that Eric got hurt. And I was filming on the sidelines. I just know, you know, after the snap plays dead, I I pushed stop on my camera. I kept recording. I zoomed in. And, you know, to see everyone take a knee and to see Eric's mom um, just yeah. standing there worried that really kind of it, it it was almost like an out of body experience it didn't feel real you didn't really know what was going on you just know knew that there was an injury and it kind of took a little extra long but when he went back and replayed the tape and saw how his body just really stiffened up as he fell to the ground that was hard that was really hard to to watch so you know after that we kind of you know the whole entire university rallied behind Eric and then that really grew to nationwide to stars like Little Wayne and everyone just gathering behind Eric Legrand and to be able to cover that as such a young journalist um, I think it helped in my career in a sense that it tells you it, it told me that it's more than just you know touchdowns and interceptions that 
serious stories really come out of sports sometimes, and you have to be really prepared and equipped to cover those things and be versatile, not just someone who can get excited for a touchdown but can, can you know, kind of tell you a story and how something could really affect someone's life forever. And that's exactly um, what happened to Eric. Right. And, you know, and I think yourself and other people that had the chance to, to cover that story, you know, it's tragic. It, it was so sad when it happened, but I think the one silver lining out of it were the pieces uh, about his family and about his recovery that painted mm-hmm. him in a good light that kind of showed that after a tragic event that there can be some good that comes out of it. And I thought, you know, it was uh, it was a delicate situation, especially for somebody like yourself still in college, you know, working, you know, for the first time without a lot of experience there. We had a hashtag called Believe, and we would highlight the E and the L for Eric LeGrand. And, you know, that was one thing that really stood out to be able to help. You know, as a journalist, you think that you can only tell stories, but mm-hmm. being able to put out promotional pieces to help, you know, raise money for a good cause, that was something that, you know, I learned pretty early on, too. Talking with Crystal Rich, a sports anchor reporter from WBLC CBS in Maryland. Okay, so to wrap up your college career, before we get into the career side of things, I want to ask you a question about your other major. So you're a journalist major. <laughs> but yeah. this, I don't know if this is accurate. Maybe it isn't. It just kind of looks a little different to me. But you studied Chinese Mandarin? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh. So what, what was uh, the reasoning for that? And how has it helped you, I guess, in the sports world or in life in general? All right, well, here we go. I wanted to double, (laughs) I feel like this is a long story. I wanted to double major in business and journalism. However, since I was with RUTV, that was like a full-time gig for someone in college. It was already like a double major. So I decided that I wanted to minor in business. Rutgers didn't allow that. So what I wanted to do was find something that complemented business, um, that was completely different. And for me, I'm someone who loves culture. I love learning about different cultures. So I, I, you know, just kind of looking ahead, I thought that China would be something that would really complement business in the future. So I dove in and decided to study the language, and it was the hardest thing that I've ever done in my whole entire life. I was probably only one of two people who are not ethnically Chinese in that class, and going in and not even knowing how to say hi in Mandarin, ni hao, it was so hard. But, you know, I came out on top. I came out with an A average in my in my class. I studied abroad in Changchun, China. We went to Beijing as well and took a lot of excursions. And that was a life-changing, eye-opening opportunity. It was something I will never forget. Um <laughs> So far in sports, it hasn't helped me too much in sports. Um, But eventually, you know, I always have a million side hustles is what I like to call it. Uh, Eventually, I I do want to kind of integrate uh, a business side, whether that's in sports or something else. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to incorporate some Chinese in there. Um, And just kind of looking at how passionate Chinese people are um, about sports that kind of gives me hope of incorporating it a little more in the future too. When I was in Chang Twin, we went to go play basketball. A couple of um, classmates and I, there was a 10 court park and I lied to you not about 90% had on Kobe jerseys. 
yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you know they're, they love, you know, American basketball and, and certain things like that. Yeah, that's definitely a common bond, uh, certainly. And you know what? Even if it doesn't uh, directly affect your sports career or influence it, just the fact that you're able to go and do an environment like that, knowing, knowing, you know, nothing going in, kind of uh, an intimidating situation, come out with a degree, I think that sets you up for future life experiences like being a reporter where it could be kind of a difficult environment to uh, succeed. So I think there's definitely value in that. It's just, it was an interesting story. I had to ask you about that because it's not something that had really come up, but it's, uh, it's very cool. Nonetheless. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It, it really does. It, it kind of opens you up as a reporter. You have to be open to whatever story that you pitch or, or are assigned. So it, it really kind of gave me a head start for that. So at the end of your time at Rutgers, I know every college senior is always stressing about what their next move is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, it's in, I think that's uh, ramped up in the case of sports professionals. What was the uh, the journey like from from where you were as a senior at Rutgers to right now? What was the uh, the process and how you moved up the ladder? It was a hard process. I don't think anything I've ever done has – I never took a standard route, nor have I ever took an easy route. Um, I remember, you know, before graduation – making 50 DVDs of a talent reel from anchoring RUTV and reporting and sending them out to 50 different news stations across the country. Um, and there was there were resumes, cover letters, other pieces of work writing. So, I mean, I did all of that manually. Um, no email. I didn't send out a link. I, you know, my nickname growing up was Hustler. That was what my dad always called me. And that's how... <laughs> That's why I really think my career has come um, to fruition. It's just really hustling. Um, two months after graduation, I accepted a job at NFL Network and NFL Digital Media. Um, that's where I met you. And for me, even getting to the West Coast was hard for me because I was, you know, from the East Coast. I never even dreamed of going to L.A. I thought I was going to go down south where there's SEC football, college football, and, you know, football is mm-hmm. huge. Um that being one of my favorite sports. So when I got that um, offer, even just getting to the West Coast was hard. Um, So, you know, after that, I think I was in there for one season, and then during my second season, that's when I got an offer for my first on-air job out of college for Time Warner Cable. Um, I left NFL full-time but came back to just freelance a little bit. you know, that's around the time that I wrote my book. And then I made the move back to the East Coast about a, a year after that and started my job at uh, wow. a local CBS. So everything yeah, has been a hustle. Yeah, no, and, and I think that's the way, you know, every path is different, especially in this profession, but I think that's the one common theme is you have to hustle and outwork everybody and, and be willing to take unconventional routes. And and just a quick aside, I was the same way with you. I, getting to L.A., was uh, was not something I'd ever planned, and it's weird now. I know the Rams are back, but even you know, a few years prior to that, just hearing that the NFL Network was based in LA, where there isn't a team, was just kind of mm-hmm. it was just kind of strange. Right. But I wanted I wanted to get your you know reaction to something. You know, NFL was was your first you know major job out of college. It was definitely my first major job in the sports profession. What was your, you know, thoughts on on a company that size and and your initial reaction to, you know, those first couple of weeks on the job at the NFL Network? 
Yeah, the first couple of weeks is just, oh, man, where do I fit in? You know, the first week, there was just so many people there. They had so many new hires, and they, they took a route where they hired a lot of recent graduates. Um, and you're really just trying to find your feet and trying to figure out, you know, what your duties are and how to do that well and how to make a good impression. So, um, you know, I was I was on it. <laughs> I came to work early, I left late, and I always made sure to smile, you know, no matter how much, you you even know this, working in TV and working in production, um, it's fast-paced and there's a lot of demands on you, but I always wanted to be sure that, you know, if people remembered me, they would remember someone who was smiling and had a good attitude, so I kind of just let that carry me forward. Um, by halfway through the first season that I was there, um, you really kind of get the, the hang of the hustle and the speed of things. And, you know, the year after, we started adding more people um, and adding new um, – we added um, a whole new building for us. And, you know, that expanded and you became kind of like a veteran. So, you know, with anything that you start, there's always a little bit of growing pain. But for me, the approach is just – approach it as with with as much positivity as you can learn get better and make a good impression and and lifelong relationships and you know you and i were were um a product of that you know we met at nfo network and here you are and here i am today i know it's interesting to, to think about that you know it was only a few years ago but it's it's flown by you know i had the same thought mine i was it's overwhelming at times to walk into that building and mm-hmm. to realize you're working for the national football league uh, but at the same time, you know that there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of people that want that job. That mm-hmm. if if you don't perform, they'll they'll phase you out. And I think to, to your point of you know always smiling, my reaction was I'm not I'm always going to have a good attitude. If if someone yells, if a superior is upset, I'm going to take it in stride. And I think mm-hmm. you have to just keep moving positively. And I I mean it's it's cutthroat like anything, but you know, you don't really have time to just sit back and admire because everybody wants to keep moving. And, and you know, yep. if you're not moving forward, you're, you're probably moving backwards. Uh, right. I want to go back. I want to go back to your time. Also at time Warner cable. Um, you had a chance there to be on camera as your first on camera job, as you said, out of college, but you also got the chance to interview uh, some professional athletes, uh, mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick, Richard Sherman, Barry Sanders, to name a few. Mm-hmm. What was that experience like going from? I know you had time. I know you had time on camera in college, but mm-hmm. suddenly here you fresh out talking to some of the greats in the NFL and, and other sports. Man, that was awesome. It was it was kind of like a finally moment. Finally, I can you know do what I really want to do, which is be on air and tell stories in that regard, um, and to be able to interview Richard Sherman, Colin Kaepernick. Uh, Danny Green, Barry Sanders. Um, I was at an SD's party and got to interview so many people. Um, it just felt comfortable, and, and it felt, you know, like a step in the right direction. And being able to have that, you know, I had a, a one-on-one with Richard Sherman, just him, I, and one camera. Um, oh. That was, to me, you know, <laughs> I didn't even think I was going to get that at that, that day. And it was kind of just like a hey, do you want to do this? And I'm like, heck yeah. I get my, my camera girl and we just, you know, do it on the fly. It wasn't planned for. I had no questions um, planned out. It was just kind of like an on-the-fly thing. So that kind of um, 
that that those are the best moments when you don't know what's coming but you're just prepared and I think the NFL network kind of you know helped me in that regard because every day what are you doing you're watching film you're editing you're you're learning something new about someone else um and you're you're taking situations on the fly so it was kind of just like a, a finally moment but a lot of those interviews honestly they were not planned for they were just you know I was present that person was present I was able to squeeze in and um, that it was awesome. I mean, I even look back at that and just, you know, marvel and say, wow, you know. Right. And, and you know, as a reporter that it, going forward, you would just have to be prepared because you don't know for sure if you're always going to get to talk to some of these uh, athletes or entertainers. And I, I can't think of a better way to get you know acclimated than talking to some of these athletes like Richard Sherman, Barry Sanders, and and I just think it's a great story. It's a great way to kind of grow, you know, in your profession. Um, yeah, yeah it's, uh, you'd have to think, and, and not to be overwhelmed by that, too. I mean, fresh out of college, there's people much older than you that might not have been able to handle that. Yeah, you know, when those when those situations come up and they pop up and you have the opportunity, you just have to be ready to take it. Um, and for me, I was, you already know, I was just very, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this. I have my eyes set on this. So when I had that opportunity, you know, I just you just got to jump on it and not think too much and just kind of just have a conversation. That's what it's all about. It's just conversation and making the other person feel comfortable enough to open up. Talking with Crystal Rich on the Money Mitch Effect, let's talk a little bit about more interacting with athletes uh, and sports professionals. In this day and age, Crystal, you know that social media is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I view, I'm, I'm really, you know, intrigued to hear what your thoughts are. I, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword because there's never been more access to mm-hmm. athletes and professionals, but it's not always positive. Right. So how, how do you balance using this tool that can be used for good, but sadly is not, you know, always the case? Yeah, let me just first start on the athletes. It's such a great tool to reach out to your fans directly. Um, back in the day, the only way to reach out to your fans was through the media. So if you wanted to get a message across to your fans, you had to wait until all the cameras were in your face and then say what you wanted to say there. Um, In this day and age, you don't have to wait. You can just say whatever you want when you want it. But that is also a problem sometimes when people get passionate and they say really what's on their mind before thinking twice about it. It can can hurt them. As journalists, um, it, it helps us a lot if we have a story following it up with some, you know, social media um, that is always a plus because it kind of just gives you, you know, visuals of what someone's thinking and saying. Um, but it's, it's also tricky. For me, I like to um, just just kind of the person that I am, I like to tell positive stories, and I hate when, you know, someone will tweet something that's just a little bit foolish. Um so it it also it really kind of depends on the journalist sometimes if someone wants to rip an athlete which I, I don't really like to do that I rather concentrate on what's positive and you know why people watch sports but it is a double-edged sword and I think that journalists and athletes both need to be responsible um, athletes and just what they tweet and journalists not looking at everything too seriously sometimes you know we'll take something and sensationalize it from twitter or you know even just a soundbite from being in the locker room and sometimes i see that happening and i just 
think that that journalist is horrible. Um, and I know, you know, some athletes that know me um, in locker rooms, you know, they trust me to a sense where they're okay telling me a cer- certain things because they know that I'm not going to um, beat them down like some like some people would do right. for for slipping up or or for you know for speaking their mind. Right, and and you hit the nail on the head. I think it's an unbelievable tool in terms of access, in terms of connecting with fans and as journalists to get information to the public in, in mm-hmm. record time, but. Two things. Well, context is the main thing because you don't always, you can't interpret what an athlete or a reporter means just by words. So it's easy to have that lost uh, in time or in, in how it's presented on Twitter or on any form of social media. Mm-hmm. But as a journalist, what's always, you know, been my pet peeve is it's kind of taken some levels of responsibility out of it. I don't know mm-hmm. if you would agree with that, but it's just. You can run with a story, even if the message is positive, even if it's it's great, but the people will take it as you know as gospel, whether or not it's fact checked, whether or not it's gone through the uh, the protocols of journalism. I think it can be dangerous at times. That's why it's I'm always hesitant to to instantly assume something that I read on Twitter is 100% true because how do I know as a fan that you know that that has been researched and it's verified. Right, and that's why I say that as much as athletes need to be responsible on Twitter, I think it's the exact same for journalists as well. We need to um, kind of have some regulations for ourselves um, and and what we put out there to the world, knowing that we are the storytellers. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, it, they, I don't think journalists realize necessarily all the time how much uh, power they have, mm. you know, how much their words can affect people. Right, uh, absolutely. And speaking of journalism, I want to get back to uh, you know your your other side hustle, so to speak. You're a, a published author, well mm-hmm. well reviewed published author, and uh, movie director. Mm-hmm. Your book, Ambivalent uh, Hope: A Gun and a Prayer. Uh, you know, and and that was I remember we were working together when you were writing that. How much pride <laughs> you took in that. So, uh, if you could just kind of briefly discuss what the process was and how, yeah. how difficult and challenging it was to <laughs> produce something like that and write something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult when you're working, you know, full-time and you have this idea and you really want to execute it. I guess that's just the type of person I am. I get this idea um, or, or a creative idea, and I really just want to go for it, and I'm not going to take no for an answer. So I was full-time at Time Warner just, going back and freelancing time to time at the NFL network. And I will never forget. I was at a, um, I was at a furniture store and I had like this great idea for a book. I called my best friend and I told her all about it. Um, and from there I just couldn't put my laptop down from writing. Um, I outlined the book first with paragraph long bullet points. And then from after that was done, I just sat down every day and wrote, um, on my lunch breaks, I wrote when, you know, if anyone is familiar with Final Cut Pro, I had to render. They didn't have the automatic render on this Final Cut Pro. So when it had to render for an hour, I would pull out my personal laptop and write. Um, when I was at NFL Network, if I had any kind of break, I would start writing. So it was definitely a hustle. And after that, you know, I had to learn about the literary world. I knew all about the television world, but I knew nothing about publishing a book. So, you know, I bought a book just to teach me about 
you know, um, the life of an author. Um, and, you know, one of the biggest things is promoting your book and being, you know, someone who's familiar with camera work. I, you know, casted a crew of 19 actors in Hollywood, um, bought studio space, um, set up different days for shoots and shot a, it was only supposed to be a short trailer and it turned into like a less than 20 minute short film to promote the book. So that was, um, that was a hustle in itself, but it was so much fun. Um, and I tell, uh, I guess this is an exclusive. I tell my close friends and families, I want to write three books. So, oh. um, <laughs> All right. Well, I, I appreciate you breaking that here, you know, on the Money Mitch Effect. That uh, that's very uh, very nice of you. But no, I, and I think, and I always tell people that write. I've, I've dabbled in it myself. That it, it's not so much writing that's the challenging part. It's editing. You know, mm-hmm. you can put your thoughts down on, on a sheet of paper, but when you go back and look and you have to, you know, piece it together, I think that's the part that's challenging. But you know, to your credit, you got through it and you put out a, a very quality piece of work that was reviewed well by uh, many people, many prominent people. So I think that just kind of added to your, you know, repertoire. Not like it needed any ad- <laughs> needing anything uh, to begin. With. Thank you. And what you said, you hit it on the nose. Editing is uh, it's even more tedious than writing. I think I reread that book at least five times when I. Um, when I was with my publisher, you know, I read it maybe twice before I sent it to them. And then after that, you know, I read it at least like three, four more times cover to cover. So it was, um, that part was pretty tedious, but you know, at the end of the day, it was worth it. It certainly seemed like it. I I know that it's always rewarding to have something, you know, anything published, let alone a a full book. So Mm -hmm. hats off to you on that as well. Let's go back to your your journalism career. Would you say, um, or are there, I should say, are there role models that you look up to that you try to, you know, model your career after or are inspiring you in your profession? I mean, I feel like when I was younger, um, I just wanted to watch ESPN and, and, and the news. That's all I really, really watched. In terms of sports, it was always the female sports reporters that always inspired me because I was a female and I wanted to be a sports reporter. Um, I used to grow up seeing Pam Oliver all the time on the sidelines, and I thought she was great. Um, and then I got a little older, and I realized that, you know, for me, and, you know, maybe you can relate to this because you're kind of a curly Top two, you have curly hair. <laughs> yeah, and, and very fair. <laughs> so you know how it goes. But for me, you know, I never really saw anyone with curly hair on TV. And it's um, it's such a struggle to have it straight all the time. So, you know, Sage Steele became, like, someone who I really, really looked up to because she was on SportsCenter. <laughs> and it didn't get any more big than that. Um, and when I interned at ESPN – I had a chance to – I have a picture, by the way, and I look like I'm, like, five years old, and that picture feels like it was so long ago. Um, but I had the chance to sit down and talk with her, and she is just the most elegant, sweet lady ever um, that I've ever met in any – across almost any profession. Oh, that's, that's she, cool. Yeah, she spoke to me like a real person. She gave me, you know, not only just uh, – 
sports reporting advice. She gave me life advice. Um, that was someone who I really, really looked up to. And even her, I still remember her words of being a respectable journalist. And she was one of those people who planted that seed in my head from an early age. Um, taking it back to Philadelphia, recently retired Neil Hartman from Comcast Sportsnet. He was um, the flagship anchor for Comcast Sportsnet. They launched the program with him. He has been a mentor to me since I was in high school, and he was actually the one who told me to get involved with RUTV, Rutgers University Television Network, um, and take it from there. So I always looked up to him, and he had so much energy on air, and, you know, he's a, a male that I really wanted to emulate. And, uh, you know, the, the students who I kind of mentor today, I give them advice that he gave me 10 years ago and 10-plus years ago, which is to get involved on campus. So those are probably the most two most influential people that um, in my career that have really helped me. And then going along the, along the way, you just meet so many great journalists that you really respect and admire. And, you know, everyone that you meet like that, has the potential to kind of inspire you to go further. No, and, and that's that's great that you're able to pay it forward to the next generation of uh, you know Rutgers students and sports professionals. Uh, and you talk about meeting Sage Sage Steele in, in particular. You know, it's great that that she is nice in person because she definitely seems nice on on television. Mm-hmm. But you do run that risk of a person not being you know as genuine as they appear to be. So I'm, I'm really happy that that was indeed the case. Um, yeah, there. you never know. You never know who's a diva and who's not. But Sage Steele was definitely just a sweetheart. She Just how she is on air is how she is off air. She was an absolute sweetheart. Um, and, you know, she, that was displayed in just how much time she took from me for or with me just being a complete stranger and really pouring into my future career. For sure. Talking with Crystal Rich, Kay Rich, on uh, the Money Mitch Effect, a WBLC-CBS reporter in the Delmarva area. Okay, Kay Rich, now let's talk about the Philly sports scene. I know you wanted to hey. you know, get some off your chest. <laughs> You're Philly through and through. And we'll start with the, well, I guess we'll we'll start with on a, on a somber tone, the Sixers. I, I really wanted to see Ben Simmons <laughs> play right away. Um, I was I wouldn't say I was trusting the process. I was skeptical of the process, but um, sad news out of out of Philly with his injury. Mm-hmm. This is a team that struggled. I know you've been waiting for them to be good. What's uh, what's your take on how this team will you know progress in the next couple of years? Mm, I think it's it's going downhill. <laughs> we okay. yeah. I mean, I love Philly sports so much, but being a Sixers fan, it just it's really frustrating. Being a Sixers fan is almost like being a distant relative. We're still family. You know, we still love you. Um, we're a little far out right now. We might, you know, if you do something good, we might come by that Christmas just to, you know, pop in, say we're still here, say hello. <laughs> but that is kind of our relationship with the 76ers. We're like distant family. We still love you. We're still rooting for you. But it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to watch. Um, you know, growing up in that AI era, Allen Iverson, um, it's really been on decline since, since you know, yeah. since he left. 
And, you know, that's hard. That's over 10 years ago. Um, and for it to just not be able to uh, rebound since Allen Iverson is that, for me, I, I've always said I believe this is a front office problem. I think that we get athletes, um, and then we cannot grow athletes under our brand. We can't mature athletes under our brand. You know, I don't think that we have a good enough mix of veteran athletes and and younger athletes to to guide them and show them the way. And when we do try to get veteran athletes, we get knuckleheads who, you know, to me, you know, I don't want to say fake an injury. <laughs> Final. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I mean, it's hard to argue that. I don't want to say fake an injury, but I, I feel like, you know, he just really didn't want to be there. Um, and it and it was it was just that's how Philadelphia fans felt at the time. Um, so, you know, every move that we make, you know, I get excited, but then it frustrates me. Like Michael Car Michael Carbones, I was so upset when we let him go, Drew Holiday, uh, speak, all these guys who um should have been developed under our umbrella. Um, and went off under two different places and, you know, kind of did well with them, it's really frustrating as uh, a Sixers fan. So, you know, I'm still – I will still be a fan until I die. Um, but, you know, we, we definitely have that distant family kind of feel. You know, right now, Philly fans probably, you know, we root for other players, not teams, but players, you know, the Steph Currys of the world, um, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon that Sixers are going to be good. I mean, yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, I, rebuilding, it's hard to sell that to a fan base that we're just not going to be good for years and mm-hmm. they're not really building a roster. Yeah, they're building, they're collecting assets, but not necessarily building a roster. You'd like to see mm-hmm. some of these players pan out, but you just never know, uh, unfortunately. But I'm glad, yeah, especially I'm glad. for Ben Simmons, like that was, uh, you know, we were excited to to see him. I can't say that I was 100% sold though. I mean, I remember watching the draft um, and talking about it with my dad afterwards, and I'm just like, Dad, you know, I like this guy. He he looks great, but at the same time, he's just so young. Um, and with that, you know, Philly, we're not strangers to taking young players and and like I said, we're not able to develop them. Yeah. Um, just his, just his, and, you know, having so much of that happen under our umbrella and then hearing about his injury, um, you know, it almost, it, you almost take it as like, you're not surprised. You know, how else are the Sixers going to be doomed this year? <laughs> yeah. And, and at LSU, he had some uh, questions about his work ethic and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm high on him, but I'm with you. I do want to see him play before we anoint him as the second coming. Um, right. I like Iverson, and I'm glad you brought him up because that that had to be the best time to be a young Philadelphia basketball fan, watching oh, Allen man. Iverson play. So influential on and off the court. And I would take it back to, and you know, we always talked about when we worked together, how much fun the NBA was in the shortly after the post-Jordan era with these new next-level mm-hmm. stars. Iverson's performance in that finals game one against the Lakers, I mean, it mm. has to be among the greatest Philly sports moments in your lifetime. I just, I believe I was in around fifth grade, and that is where... Single-handedly beat him. What was that? 
you single-handedly beat the Lakers. Like, it's fun. <laughs> I don't think that, you know, there is anything else that could really add on to being such a diehard Philly sports fan across the board than that year. That year was kind of a defining year for my generation um, in sports. You know, the Eagles didn't have a ring, um, but it was that, that really kind of brought a whole entire community together. And, you know, we see it on TV in different cities with, you know, back in Miami when it was the big three, um, you know, and Golden State Warriors and how, you know, Steph Curry and the Splash Brothers, it seems just to bring the whole community together to experience that at such a young age and watch this magic on the court and just this guy who just is a wizard with the ball and is just so determined and so fast and is so skilled and has such a good handle and such a good shot. Growing up and especially being young and seeing that, it, it impacts you forever. And that's probably one of the reasons why, you know, I went – I wanted to work in sports so badly. Yeah, and those and we talked about it at work a lot. Those commercials were uh, <laughs> unbelievable. They were. Yeah, I still I still remember the uh, I think it was the the uh, AI the five shoes where there was him yeah. and me. That was probably my favorite one of my favorite NBA commercials ever for sure. But then to see him go into the Hall of Fame this year mm-hmm. and give arguably one of the best speeches that I've heard any yeah. athlete inducted it was it was pretty cool it was pretty cool to see it was great and i was so glad that he had such an amazing speech because he got no slack for practice we're talking about practice (laughs) so to see him give a really good speech it it just it everyone in philadelphia kind of just probably made their heart explode um and taking it back to the commercials i really like some of the new age ones i think there's one that came out around the time where we were at the nfl network together where um they're at the barbershop. You don't even see AI uh, until the very last scene, but they're talking about basketball and practice, and AI turns around and says, practice? We're talking about <laughs> practice and gets mad and storms out the barbershop. Even, you know, some of the new age ones are, are pretty good. I do I do remember that. Yeah, that <laughs> was a, a classic. And, and, you know, briefly, it's it's interesting. This time of year, or this, this stage in, in the NBA landscape, you had Kobe and Tim Duncan retiring, Shaq in the Hall of Fame. I mean, this is our generation's, you know, I know. idol. I know. You know it's it's so strange. Different week now. It almost, it almost feels like you're getting older. I mean, we everyone's getting older, but it's like when your generation is, you know, they're start, they start retiring, it's like, oh, my God. And then there's that next generation of kids who are greatly inspired by their favorite athletes, and right now it's, you know, probably number one, Steph Curry, LeBron James. Um, and, you know, kids nowadays are being impacted by these two guys and um, just how probably I was impacted by AI and his, his great run skill. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it's a circle of life, so to speak, but it does make you all sad that you're not, you know, able to see, you know, the legends keep you going. But that's how sports works, unfortunately. Um yeah. We got to get twenty in, years out of Kobe. Yeah, twenty twenty uh, remarkable years. You know, mm-hmm. so. I want to switch to the NFL. I know you have Eagle blood through and through. Mm-hmm. And we worked together during the Chip Kelly years, which <laughs> that's, that's an understatement. Um, mm-hmm. 
But now there's some optimism. You know, new coach mm-hmm. Doug Peterson and they, uh, a rookie quarterback in Carson Wentz that looks pretty good. I know they lost yesterday, but still three and one to start the season. Mm-hmm. Um, is there is there a true sense of optimism in your soul for Philadelphia here? Yes. Um, when it comes to football, I feel, except for the Chick Kelly era, um, I wasn't really too much of an optimist back then. Um, but besides that, even though he did give us an, you know, uh, an NFC championship, besides that, um, I'm the ultimate Philly football, make that clear, Philadelphia football optimist. Um, gotcha. You know, I'm really, I'm really excited about Carson Wentz and what he can do. I do think we have a lot of work to do and a lot of growing to do, especially when we get into the red zone and just being able to make things happen. But I think that will, um, I think that will come. Um, and just to see him uh, go against certain teams, I mean, I, I won't forget about that Steelers Eagles game, Steelers. You know, you can say they're not on their A game or what have you, but oh, when you're beating such a prominent team, 34 to three, you know, there's definitely going to be optimism there. You know, it started out very skeptical. Okay, you beat the Browns. Who hasn't beat the Browns? Okay, you beat the okay. you beat the the Bears. But when you get to you know the Steelers and you have a huge win like that, it's definitely going to be. Um, there's definitely going to be a lot of optimism there. Um, and that optimism was really grown through a lot of frustration. You can only imagine, you know, having a team loaded with talent from LaShawn McCoy to Deshaun Jackson to um, Jeremy Macklin and a plethora of other players and seeing them one by one be let go of and picked up by other teams. That was literally heartbreaking for for everyone in Philadelphia because we felt like we had a, a team finally that could – make it to the Super Bowl and actually win a Super Bowl. So to see um, those pieces get completely destroyed by Chip Kelly, it was really hard. And, and you know, for me, I, I never wanted Sam Bradford. I thought he was injury prone. Um, he was. Um, but we had him. And when we let him go recently, you know, I was mad at that because Philly <laughs> <laughs> yeah. fans are just mad all the time, I feel like. You know, he no, was I've the only yeah, he was the only quarterback who really had experience on the Eagles. We were trusting our fate in this rookie quarterback who is proving himself worthy. Um, so it was a lot of turmoil, but leading up to um, what's turning out to be a pretty good season, we lost by one point last game, and that just, for me, we need to do better in the red zone. But, um, yeah, Philly, it's an exciting time right now, you know. Uh, hopefully we can we can build off and not come off uh, – a bye week so rusty, um, you know, learn from that in the future. But we're excited in Philadelphia. It is an exciting time you know, for football fans in Philly. Uh, and, and just an aside, I remember one of, you know, one of our first interactions was after the uh, the Eagles lost to the Redskins, uh, the first bad. Chip Kelly collapse. Mm-hmm. And I remember you being upset, and <laughs> we were all trying to, like, console you. And you asked me, what you <laughs> The Browns, and you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> right now. So, um, oh man, was yeah. I? Was I? I was probably yelling and screaming. I remember when it, on Sundays at the NFL Network, when I they would always give me the Eagles game to cut, and people used to like laugh at how much I got into the game, and I'm like, no, no, like a true fan. <laughs> like a true Philly is, fan. You know, 
you cut those games with headphones on, so you don't physically understand how much you're reacting to <laughs> everybody yeah. else. Uh, that was me. Yeah, you know, and, and as an Eagles fan, I mean, you mentioned the Iverson days of your childhood. You had a lot of Eagles teams that were right on the doorstep, you know. Mm-hmm. Four straight NFC Championship games, finally did win the fourth. You know, mm-hmm. lost the in 2008. Right there, I just couldn't get over the hump. It's definitely got to be frustrating for a fan base. It was really frustrating. I mean, those years were exciting years. I remember them like it was yesterday. Um, I remember actually my mom, my mom and I sitting on the couch and kind of having the same reaction that I would have at NFL Network. We're yelling at the TV and screaming and so exciting. Um, but it hurts. And I always say that Philadelphia fans are so loyal. I just say they're loyal people because if you can go through all that and not have a ring to show for it and you're still loyal to your team, you must be a really loyal person when it yeah. comes to this game of life. So, um, you know, it's hard. It's hard, but um, there were so many years that we had the potential to go all the way. We had the pieces. Growing up, I was a huge Westbrook fan. Um, and to those for those pieces just to not work out, um, after coming so close, it's rough. It's difficult. Yeah, it, it you were so close, had a lot of talent, but you know it, it it doesn't always work out. There's always not that fairy book ending, fairy tale ending in sports. But maybe mm-hmm. this time you got a young quarterback yet you know has a lot of football in front of him. Mm-hmm. The roster gets better. I, I can sense the optimism, um, even from someone that's always optimistic like yourself. Yeah, um, you absolutely. I think when he grows. Um, he just has a lot of growing to do. And, you know, he didn't throw his first interception until last game. That That's amazing. He If he didn't throw uh, that interception in week five, he would have been one of the first rookies to do so, to start his first four games, win his first four games, and not throw an interception. That would have been amazing. Um, however, he is young and does have a lot of football in front of him. He has a, a great build. And to me, he has just a great mindset for football. Um Everything that you hear about him and covering the Philadelphia market, it's positive, and that's exactly uh, what we need. I think that Doug Peterson will do a much better job managing the roster. He's not going to have the general general manager um, power that Jeffrey Lurie gave Chip Kelly, so that's also good. Um, <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I could talk about that all day, but it is an exciting time for Philly, and hopefully – you know, in the next couple of years, we will be able to go all the way. Just just one time. It's just one time. Well, I have a feeling that would be a heck of a reaction in uh, downtown Philadelphia if oh, the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Talking with uh, Crystal Rich, WBOC-CBS reporter on the Money Mitch Effect. And before we wrap this up, as a reporter, Crystal, what are some of your as a sports reporter? What are some of your favorite NFL storylines? You know, five weeks into this season. Well, you know, you know, being on the Eagles side, I I think the Vikings are intriguing to me. Um, undefeated with a new quarterback in their system is amazing. You know, I gave Sam Bradford a really hard time just because. I am a diehard Eagles fan, and we kind of just tell it like it is. I don't think the Chip Kelly system was for him, but he is fitting in perfectly with um, with the Vikings. So I am happy for him that it, it's working out for him. Um, I think I'm kind of – I guess I'm kind of sticking 
to the NFC East right now, but Dak Prescott, you know, being yeah. <laughs> being a being a football fan, most people cannot stand, you know, the Dallas Cowboys. Being in the NFC East, you really don't like the Dallas Cowboys. It's really hard to root against uh, Dak. It's really hard because he has so much skill and so much talent. And I kind of said this in the preseason, and, you know, I kind of got some uh, some reaction, people saying, you know, hey, this is only preseason. He's going against terrible defenses and third stringers. And I said, no, you know, this guy, he was he was one of those underrated quarterbacks, kind of just like Russell Wilson. No one was really talking about him that year that he got drafted. And, you know, he came out, and he's a, a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. It was all about Andrew Luck and uh, RG3 back then. And that's kind of what uh, – Dak Prescott is. He is he's he's a tough guy. Uh definitely probably has Romo scared <laughs> to come back. Uh but um it's 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 almost like a you admire him but at the same time him being your rival, you know, you'll 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 admire him but then you also want to beat the crap out of him <laughs> when you guys meet up. <laughs> Yeah, I could I could see that being terrified of of that young combo with Elliot too in the backfield. It's very scary. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, what Dak Prescott's doing, I, I don't know that he gives that job back to Tony Romo. Really, and I said this last week, kind of like a Bizarro Romo doesn't really take chances. You know, mm-hmm. plays it close to the vest. And, and what an interesting division that NFC East is right now, with mm-hmm. uh, it being in flux. Um, right. And then, yeah, you, you mentioned the Vikings. I, I think the real narrative shift in the NFL is defense heavy. You could win with a dominant defense and mm-hmm. offense is just, just enough and doesn't make mistakes. Yeah, I, I kind of want to get your take. I believe you're a Rams fan, right? I mean, you're oh, back no. in L.A., you're in L.A.? <laughs> no, I, I, I might be a casual you know, Rams fan, like if uh, <laughs> they offer a promotion where I can get discount on my groceries. <laughs> That's about it. Um, they're, they're solid. They're solid. It's funny, Crystal, because they just been they've been following me, you know, from St. Louis <laughs> here. So, you know, well, I'm hope you stay in LA. Every I, most people in LA want them to finally just settle down, be ready for yeah. the long haul, that long term relationship. Right. It's uh, the, the fan support has been. I was skeptical. It's actually been better than I thought. Will it be sustained? That's what time will tell. But the defense is great. Um, I don't know about the quarterback position. You guys in Philly might have uh, gotten the better, better prospect. Better thing, yeah. But no, there's optimism, so that's good. You know, you're you're sad for the people of St. Louis, but you're happy for LA in a sense that they got the Rams back, and it just makes too much sense to have professional football in a, in a yeah, city like yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't always, um, I don't always, I'm not always able to watch the. All the games, you know, at the NFL Network, we had every single game on every single wall. Oh. Um, that was that was like glory. Um, however, I do want to try to keep up more with the 49ers, and I just, you know, I'm just, I want to know what you think. I really, you know, Colin Kaepernick, start him, sit him. I mean. I, yeah, you have to, like, uh, let's start with this. Blaine Gabbard is not good. He's mm-hmm. not playing well. So the only reason not to play the backup, whoever that is, would be if there's an injury problem. And then that's mm-hmm. the thing with Kaepernick, with it, whether did he lose strength in his arm, what, what's going on there. Um, but if that's the case, then Chip Kelly should have another quarterback on the roster. So something's not adding up to me. 
I think it adds up perfectly. Like being a Philly fan and having to have dealt with um, Chip Kelly before, um, it adds up perfectly. You know, the the only logical thing to do would be to start a quarterback who was once so dominant and so um, much higher in the quarterback ranking than a Blaine Gabbert, which is Colin Kaepernick. But when you have someone who is almost, um, and I say this cautiously, almost hard-headed as Chip Kelly, um, I could see why he's just going to want his way. You know, when he was in Philadelphia, he really worked hard to get that GM um, status along with head coach. He doesn't have it with the Niners. Um, but I, I can see him having a lot to do with uh, Kaepernick sitting down. Um, and I, I am thoroughly convinced he probably convinced upper management as the best um, – the best cause to, you know, keep him on right. the bench too. But I think this is, it goes back to a Chip Kelly problem. I can't really give you names, but I talked to a lot of Eagles players who, who kind of um, would echo that same sentiment about his character. So, um, right. right. Yeah. I, I mean, it's a Kelly problem. He in Philly, if you didn't agree with him, he basically ran you out of town regardless of how mm-hmm. good you were. And mm-hmm. then all the talent was gone from the roster. It's funny yep. how that works. Uh, it's not it's not college where the roster turns over every four years. You have to be able to work with egos and people that you might not necessarily see eye to eye with right. on everything. But I will say this: that San Francisco roster is one of the worst in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think it, there's problems there abundantly. A lot of them have to do with Chip Kelly, but there's a lot more with uh, right. the, you know acquisitions and you know I'm we'll see what happens with the Kaepernick and Chip Kelly situation, but. That he he's going to be playing soon. I would be stunned if playing Gabbard if he continues to play this way lasts another couple of weeks because you yeah. just can't justify playing a quarterback that ineffective. To go on a, a four game losing streak only to win one game to the L A Rams who were starting a rookie quarterback in in their first game it it just tells you so much about the team. They have two more weeks before their bye so. You know, hopefully they get a, a few things figured out and come out of week eight um, a little bit better and maybe, you know, give give Cap a chance or, you know, just do something to shake it up there. But that's one team that I try to, you know, follow as much as possible. Right. And and I will, and I will say it's a very uh, Philly-esque thing. I've had a couple of people from Philly on the podcast, and the first thing they want to do is talk about the Eagles, and the second thing they want to do is talk about how bad Chip Kelly's Niners are. So. <laughs> Don't you love us? Don't you love us? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, fitting, it's fitting the narrative perfectly. Um, all right, Crystal, before I let you go, I wanted to talk briefly about your career once more. You know, you've accomplished so much at a young age, but what future goals do you have going forward? Where do you see yourself uh, going on in this career path? Yeah, see, that is something that I think about all the time. Um, for me, I love storytelling, and uh, that is where I want my future to be. I love creating, and I love storytelling. So, you know, I want to take this sports thing and sports reporter thing as far as it could possibly go. Um, You know, I have, you know, pretty good contacts all over. But at the end of the day, I think what really makes me happy is creating, Um, whether that's content or, you know, something in marketing. Um, So we'll see how long I play out this um, this reporter gig I love doing it it's definitely a passion of mine I think the only thing that can trump it is really 
um, having a position where I create and just tell stories. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I am now. And you kind of see that with me being an author too, and just wanting to tell stories, um, with film. So, uh, you know, production is such a hustle when I'm, when I, uh, finally, when I finally hang up the cleats, which hopefully isn't anytime soon, I'll still be doing something that tells stories and whatever I can do that's on the creative side of things. You know, and, and that's, that's such a good strategy to have. I know it's it's hard to answer that question, you know, where do you kind of see yourself, especially in this career. But the more experience you have, the more, you know, diverse, and I go back to that dual threat, you know, uh, comparison, but being able to do multiple things just sets you up for, you know, more opportunities. But, you know, I think it's interesting. I think what you've been able to do as a reporter this last couple of years, I'm sure you look back at maybe your first interviews, and see what you're able to do now and just see strides and improvement. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you. Thank you for that compliment. Um, absolutely. You know, um, it is, you, you, there's so, it's such a competitive um, environment and I really do love it. I really, really do love it. But for me, um, it's, it's not the end all be all. There's, I believe that people just have so many great layers to them. And this really is just one layer. It's one layer. And, when this is over, I'll be still creating in, in a different environment and still screaming at my TV on Sundays when I watch the Eagles. Yeah, it's great that being a fan, you know, never leaves. And, and I know, I know you've done a lot of great things, uh, but maybe one of the, one of the best things or one of the coolest things is probably getting recognized. I know, uh, I know, I think it was, a, I think it was on Snapchat where you got recognized uh, getting dinner one evening by people that worked there for being on TV. Oh, and, yeah. I, and I know that if that happened to me, that'd be you know probably the top five greatest moment in my life to get food out of it. Yeah, well. yeah, I do get recognized a lot, and a lot of times it's the women who who recognize me, and they always tell me it's kind of like a weird compliment. They're like, "Oh, my husband loves you," and then I'm like, "Oh, thank you," and you know, realizing that I'm the sports girl, of course, that's what it what it is. Um, but yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, I try to go out sometimes incognito um sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but it's always good to have someone really appreciate your work and you know being a journalist uh high demands high demands on this job so to you know see people really appreciate that um it's awesome so well crystal thanks again you know for coming on the show um being and i mean and i say this with uh complete sincerity one of the nicest people in sports i've ever met and uh, definitely hard working. So, uh, I, you know, it just, it's been cool to follow your career trajectory. I know it's, uh, it's only going up. Thank you so much. I had so much fun on the Money Mitch Effect. And you can catch Crystal at WBOC in the Delmarva area as a sports reporter. And uh, her website, is it crystalrich.com? Is, do I have that yes, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. For all the happenings, Crystal, thanks again. Really appreciate you coming on, and we'll be definitely catching up, you know, as as we both go forward in our respective careers. Absolutely. Thanks, Mitch. Have a good one. Big, big thanks to Crystal Rich for coming on The Money Mitch Effect. She uh, is a great person, uh, a great journalist, an even better friend, and uh, I'm very happy for her success. 
which I know there'll be more of in the future. A reminder, you can catch all the Money Mitch Effect episodes on iTunes and now on Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect in their podcast portals, respectively. And you can also find all the episodes at my Facebook page, Mitch Michael, as well as my Twitter handle, MoneyMitchM21. That's MoneyMitchM21. we got a couple more shows for you playing this week. It's a busy week. Lots going on in the sports world. Another exciting week of college football. The NFL season moves right along. Hockey and basketball on the horizon. Of course, the MLB playoffs. You're not going to want to miss any discussions that we have in those respective sports. Thank you for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. I'm Mitch Michaels. Have a good week. Enjoy it.